Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. If you're taking notes today, uh, we're going to call this talk uh, get a better bike. Get a better bike. Um, Paul the Apostle, you probably know or are familiar with this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. For Paul, faith, hope, and love are like the, the, the axiom by which he will diagnose church problems. So he's running a diagnostic on the church in Rome, on the church in Corinth, and the church in Thessalonica. And he's going to go, okay, you guys are going to, so we're going to look at three churches today. And these churches have some problems, some challenges. And so Paul's going to tell the Romans, you need some faith. He's going to tell uh, the Corinthians, you need some love. He's going to tell the Thessalonians, you need some hope. And, um, and so I think of, of faith, hope, love as like basically the, the elemental parts of like a bicycle. Okay, so get a better bike, hence get a better bike. And um, I think of faith as like the framework of, of Christianity. It's the basic framework. It's the thing that holds everything together. Um, and then I, I'm thinking of hope as, you know, hope is the reason why you get out of bed in the morning, in the morning you know, like, and it, it, you're, it's, your, 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 it's your hope, it's your reason for living. Hope in the New Testament has to do with actually the eschaton or the, end, the, the culmination of all things when Jesus comes back. That's sort of what hope has to do with. Uh, like, you know, I, I have a living hope. His name is Jesus. And one day I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to be eating Colombian food. And it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> um, and then we have love. And love is the, the, the direction um, for everything and kind of the purpose for everything. Um, and so I think of, of uh, faith as your framework or your frame, and I think of as hope as the energy. It's the, it's the pedals and the chain. And then I think of love as your aim. Okay, so faith is the frame, hope is the chain, and love is your aim. Look at that, I made them rhyme. I must be a real preacher. Are you impressed yet? He made them rhyme. That's incredible powers. Okay. So, I lived in New York for eight years. Eight years in New York City, my God. And um, New York City destroys bicycles. Destroys bicycles. It's not a city that is friendly to bikes. There's always a bicycle somewhere that is mashed. Um, There's bicycles that are destroyed by cars. I mean, people who bike in New York are insane. You have to be insane to be riding a bicycle. And you are, I see these people biking. Um, I had a friend that died on a bicycle, got hit by a dump truck. Um, yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, tourists, you know, they go into Central Park and they rent bikes. I won't even ride a bicycle in Central Park. No. It's dangerous. It's crazy. Have you ever seen a cab driver drive? It's insanity, these people. Um, so not only that... You know, you lock your bike up, you come back, and that thing's gone, or at least pieces of it are. Um, what does a hipster, Brooklyn-dwelling girlfriend get for Christmas? Your bike. You know? Um, that's how it works. And, you know, these, these, there's always a, a tire missing. There's always a piece of frame missing. You see these bikes, you know, like something, like nothing changed, you know, to, to some, it's incredible. I remember watching this video of a guy in New York City and he hooked, he chained his bike up to a tree and he was, he had his friends video what people's reactions walking by would look like when he's trying to cut the chain of his bike and nobody cared. And so he started with, you know, uh, things that were less conspicuous as, you know, just like picking a lock. Nobody batted an eye. People just walking by, just like, whatever, you know. And then he got, like, with those bolt cutters. He's, <laughs> like, bolt cutting this chain. People are just walking, straight walking by. It's New York. It's like, who cares? Then he gets, like, a buzzsaw. 
And there's sparks flying, and a cop walks by, and the cop's just like, nope, nothing to see here. It's just like, nobody cares, right? Life can be hard on your faith. It really is. Um, Pressure reveals, right? And I think that sometimes we're going, you know, maybe I didn't have the right parts, or maybe some of the... My faith, my hope, my love, you know, maybe there's some things that I need to upgrade here. I need to pay attention to some of these things, you know, and maybe, maybe I just need to get a better bike in general. Um, and so that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to run a diagnostic on you today, if that's okay. And you can, you can take stock, if you will, and let's see how your faith is. Let's see how your love is, and let's see how your hope is, okay? And we're going to do this individually and corporately today. All right, let's take a look at uh, the church in Rome. Um, Here's the background for the book of of Romans. Um, The church in Rome is, scholars kind of presume that the the way that this church was founded, because we don't really have a background story for it, we just know that it existed before Paul even got there. So somehow there were some Christians in Rome what probably happened was Jews uh, that were part of the diaspora, the Jews that were all throughout the Mediterranean world, they came back. Jews were supposed to, to, to journey or pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem once in their lifetime during Passover. Okay? And uh, Jerusalem was a town of maybe fifty to 75,000 people, and it would... It would swell to about 150,000 during Passover. And it was just all these Jews from all over the Mediterranean world and they would come back and they'd be on their pilgrimage. And so what probably happened was when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 1 and then we see uh, you know, the, the disciples, they, they pour out into the streets and they begin to speak in other tongues and people start hearing the gospel in their, uh, in their language. Well, who are these people that are in Jerusalem that speak other languages, right? They are the diaspora that are home and they're, you know, they're there for Passover. And so they hear the gospel. 3,000 of them are added to the church that day. They're going, whoa, this is insane. They take this back to Rome. And now they're a Christian. They're filled with the Spirit. But that's about all they know about Jesus. <laughs> okay? And so the, the church in Rome is very Jewish. Now, in Rome, there was a prevalent, um, on-the-nose anti-Semitism. Um, we know this because in AD 19, Tiberius, who was the emperor, kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. He expelled them. The Jews were not, they didn't like, or sorry, the Romans did not like Jews because the Jews were not the type of people that would become Roman. They were not Hellenized. They were not Romanized. They stayed Jewish. And Romans didn't like that. So they get kicked out, and they would blame the Jews for everything. You know, like if there was a bad wheat harvest, it was the Jews' fault, right? So they'd kick them out. Then, about 20-plus years later, another emperor named Claudius, same thing. He expels the Jews from Rome. In fact, we read about the expulsion of the Jews by Claudius in the book of Acts. This is how Priscilla and Aquila will journey down to Corinth because they were kicked out of Rome, and they meet Paul there in, in, in Corinth. And so there's this general anti-Semitism in the Roman Empire, particularly in Rome. These Christians who would have founded this church, these Jewish Christians, they get kicked out of Rome. And Gentiles who had started coming to their church take over, you know, leadership of the church. They come back after Claudius is no longer reigning and there's a more favorable, uh, you know, emperor that will allow the Jews back into the city. And they find the Gentiles swinging from the chandeliers and their church is all Gentilized. You know, it's Romanized. And, and they're not singing the Jewish songs anymore. And there's people who are uncircumcised, how dare they, be at their church. And these Romans are, Roman Christians are drinking Roman wine. And they're eating Roman meat. The problem for Jews um, in Rome is that they couldn't drink the wine because Romans made wine with blood in it. Their process of finding um, wine Um, and that's big-time anti-kosher law there, right? Like, Jews can't drink blood. It's it's, it's against the rules. In fact, until 1993, uh, dried ox blood was used to find European wines, Um, and now uh, they use chicken 
eggs and products, et cetera. You can still to this day buy kosher wines that are used without animal products or vegan wines. Um, little, little wine history there. Um, but this is why the Jews in, in Rome aren't drinking wine because they, it, it, it violates kosher law and they can't eat meat there because the meat, if you buy meat in the city, it's been offered to idols. Well, these Roman Christians are going, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not Jewish, A, and B. I just, I, I don't, I have faith for it. And we see, you know, the Apostle Paul, he, he could offer, he could eat food that was offered to idols and it didn't really bother him because he knew that there was only one God. You know what I'm saying? So he had faith for that. Uh, but there were some Christians who didn't have faith for that and it offended them um, and it, it, it bothered their conscience, particularly Jewish Christians. And so the occasion for the writing of the book of Romans is number one for Paul to introduce himself and say, hey, I'm coming to visit you. I'm your boss. And B, your church is divided. Y'all won't even celebrate the table of the Lord because you can't drink the wine together. You, you, y'all, you have an ethnically divided church. And so Paul's going to have to write to them, how did you become Christians in the first place? You guys don't understand faith. And this is how faith works. And so he'll write in Romans chapter 1, Gentiles, you have problems. And then Romans chapter 2, Jews, you have problems. And then Romans chapter 3, everybody, you have problems. We all have problems. Romans chapter 3, right? Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans chapter 4, he'll begin to talk about Abraham. And he'll say this, look, was Abraham justified after he was circumcised or before he was circumcised? And the answer is, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was justified before he got the snip. Right? And all the Gentiles said, amen. <laughs> you know, the Gentile men were going, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I, you're going to leave my yuhu alone. <laughs> I mean, you know, not to be rude, but that was literally a conversation that was happening in their church. Who said the Bible was boring? Can you imagine that that was like one of the, okay, we have a couple rules. Number one, no cussing. Number two, no fighting. Also, everybody has to get circumcised. It's crazy. <clears throat> so Paul's saying, hey, faith doesn't, you're not justified by the things that you've done. You're not justified because you watch this TV show or you don't watch this TV show. You're not justified because you drink wine or you don't drink wine. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So then, if you're justified by faith and not by works, you can't boast. You can't boast over your brother who, you know, doesn't have the kind of faith that you have or the kind of liberty in Christ that you have, or has that, you know, like, well, we know we're super, we just observe, you know, all the new moons, and we're just, you know, whatever, that doesn't save. So stop judging another man's servant. Right? If you got faith to watch whatever it is you watch on Netflix, then God bless you. And maybe I don't, or maybe I have faith for it, and you don't. But I'm not going to rub it in your face, right? Um, but, you know, have faith for whatever it is that you have. If something that you're doing is bothering your conscience, whatever is not of faith is sin. This is what Paul will say. So faith is really important. It's not, you're not just justified by faith, but you continue to walk with God by faith, which was like Abraham. Abraham was justified by faith, but he continued a walk of faith. You've got to hear God for you. Don't copy other people. You know, if, if you're, you have a Christian brother who's walking in liberty in your church, don't A, don't judge him, and B, you hear God for yourself. What's God saying to you? Because what he's saying to you might not be what he's saying to somebody else. Because God knows you. Maybe you're not as strong as somebody else, and they can operate in strength that you can't yet. You hearing me? But the, the Romans are, need to be united in faith. Right? Well, how is this church going to stick together? We're going to respect that this is a faith journey and none of us deserve to be here. But by the grace of God 
and it's just, we've just been saved by faith, and nobody's holier than anybody else. We're just all saved by faith, and we're going to continue to, to operate in faith, and I'm not going to judge another man's servant. I'm, I'm, I have enough issues in my life to, to focus on me. You hear me? The Romans needed some faith. You got to have faith, faith, faith. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it's a great song. Moving on. Let's talk about the Corinthians. The Corinthians, okay, this is the worst church in the Bible. It's shocking that they even got a letter. If I was Paul, I would never have written the letter. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Paul, how's that church in Corinth going? Corinth, never heard of it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says it's worse when you meet. It's wor- when you gather, it's just everybody's sadder. You know, imagine that. Um, the, the strictest warnings in the New Testament are to this church in 1 Corinthians 3 and in 1 Corinthians 11. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, because this church is divided over everything. There's all these factions and warring parties and people having all these arguments. And, you know, it's my church, it's your church, and this is what we should do it. And, and Paul says, um, you are the temple of God. He's speaking to them corporately, in, contextually here in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, and, if, and whoever destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Like, whoa. Like, be careful what you say about the church. Be careful what you're saying in the church. This is the temple of God. And if you destroy the temple, God will destroy you. This is not a verse about people that commit suicide. That's, some Christians have taken that, you know, like, uh, you are the temple. And if you destroy the temple, God will destroy you. Well, it's a little late if you've destroyed yourself, hasn't it? You know what I mean? Like, that's not what this, this passage says. What this passage is saying is the church is the temple of God. You are collectively the temple of God. Don't mess with it. Right? It's a great warning. Good to be reminded. Now, of course, there are some bad churches. And the best thing to do with a bad church is leave. <laughs> you know? Um, and just let the Lord deal with it. Um, but... Uh, and then 1 Corinthians 11, this is another warning. There's these, these, these Christians that are making church all about themselves and their preferences, and they're getting drunk at church and eating. And, um, and, and Paul just says, you're eating at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. You're making it all about yourself. You don't care about other people. And that's why people are sick and some are dying. That's, these are serious warnings to this divided church. Now, the Corinthians, um, Corinth was a swinging port town. It... it about 100 years before the writing of, of this, this letter, it didn't even exist. I mean, it was just in ruins. The Romans had destroyed it, and there were some, some, a few Greeks living among the ruins. Um, Corinth was on a, a two-mile-wide isthmus, this tiny little you know, piece of land, basically like a little beach. And ships would come from the south with all kinds of goodies on them, and they'd need to get north um, to, to sell, you know, the things that they had and trade or whatever. And it was dangerous, it was, and it was a couple of days shipping around um, the, this edge of, of, of Greece, and ships would make shipwreck there, and it would take a long time. And so rather than do that, they would dock at the isthmus and then portage all their goods across this two-mile isthmus into another bay into ships that were waiting on the north side of the city and it made it like a key uh, trading place for the Mediterranean okay so um, it, it was it was a clutch spot Caesar saw it and he said man we need to repopulate this we need to build this back up and it'll make things amazing and the generals all went and so he sent his generals and the generals took a ton of slaves um, and so the, the population of Corinth uh, went from like a few Greeks that were living among the, the, the ruins of the city uh, to 150,000 people in, in 100 years. And these were mostly soldiers and, and ex-slaves, uh, people who had never had money or never had their own freedom. And they went nuts, okay? We're, I mean, nuts. And to Corinthianize uh, became a... a a sexual term, uh, like a sexually deviant term throughout the Mediterranean. That's how wild and crazy these people were. Um, 
to this day, people will say, you know, he's a Corinthian, and meaning not a good person. It's, you know, um, so um, these people are very selfish. They're very self-centered. They're trying to get, you know, whatever they can get. Um, there were very few families in Corinth. People were out for their own pleasure, for their own money, and this is leaking into the church. And this is why the church is so divided. These people are spiritually gifted. Paul says that you're the, they're the most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament. But um, this, the gifts are free and they're immediate. And spiritual gifting is not the same as spiritual maturity. Right? You can have spiritually gifted people, um, but they're making a total mess. I mean, in their, in their congregation, not only is there sexual deviancy that I can't even talk about over the microphone. That's how bad it is in their church. Uh, but also, and Paul's writing to them and saying, why is this happening in your church? People outside of your church don't even do this kind of sexual stuff. What's wrong with you? Um, but then the, at their churches, they will have like, everybody will prophesy over one another. He's like, you know, this is not a symphony. This is a cacophony, right? You're making a mess. He literally has to tell them when one person's prophesying, shut up. and Let them talk. <laughs> you know, like imagine going to a church where there's just no order. In Paul, let everything be done in order. First Corinthians fourteen ends, and so it's just it's a it's a mess. And what the Corinthians ultimately need, what what will solve this disordered church is love. And so, and what's fascinating is that Paul won't shut the gifts down. See, if I was the pastor of this church, I'd say no more prophecy, done, none, no more giftings. We're canceling the spiritual giftings class. We're going to work on spiritual formation. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to learn, work on some really practical stuff. Like, I don't know, shutting up when people talk. You know, like, we're going to do a whole class on it. It's called not moving your mouth. You know, like. But amazingly, and paradoxically, Paul will actually say, actually, the way to build your church is actually to continue with your spiritual gifts. But we're going to change the emphasis of them. Because you're missing the emphasis. You're missing the meat of these things. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's going to talk about spiritual giftings. And it's really clear stuff. Some of the best teaching on spiritual giftings that we have in the Bible, the clear stuff is in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. You know the love chapter? Though I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm, a, I'm just a clanging symbol. I'm a gong show. Right? If I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, I'm nothing, right? If I prophesy, I understand all mysteries of knowledge, and I, and, and I have not love, I'm nothing. And he begins to talk about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. He begins to, right? 1 Corinthians 12 and, and 1 Corinthians 14, that's the bread. And the love chapter, that's the meat. The point of spiritual gifts is not for you to figure out who you are or to build your platform. Right? Spiritual gift tests aren't an Enneagram. Right? It's like, oh, this is who I am. This is my spiritual gifting, and I'm so special. Right? The point of spiritual gifts is other people. That's, that's the point of them. It's, it's, so, so we're going to read this passage. This is so cool. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5. And so Paul's coming out of the, the, this beautiful chapter on love. Now abide faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. So then he'll come out and he says, so pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If you have a Bible in your old school, I would underline that. Especially that you may prophesy. Right? So, so the Holy Spirit is saying to you through his word today, I want you to desire spiritual gifts, but especially to prophesy. Okay, so just... Let's just keep moving here because sometimes we're a little hazy on what prophecy means, but thankfully Paul is going to define prophecy for us in the context of the local church, okay? So let's keep reading. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. I mean, amen. When you're Shabbat doing, nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> right? You ever heard somebody rattling off in tongues and you're just like, that must be nice. Yeah, okay, like, it must be... Good stuff's happening. I don't know what it is, but it's good. That's awesome, you know. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows what we're praying when we speak in tongues. 
We don't, um, which is the reason why we speak in tongues, because we don't know to, how to pray as we ought. You don't know everything that's happening about situations, but the Holy Spirit does. And so when you pray in tongues, man, it's like strategic. You begin to pray into the will of God in a way that you couldn't in your understanding. Okay, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, right? So when you're speaking in tongues, you're building yourself up. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their, let's, and let's leave this passage up here for a second, their upbuilding, their encouragement, and consolation. If you're trying to define prophecy in the local church, it's right there. My dad says, build up, stir up, cheer up. Build up, stir up, cheer up. That's the, that's the formula for prophecy. Sometimes we think of prophecy and, you know, we're thinking, you know, like, oh, you know, spooky. <laughs> you know, like you got a little crystal ball and you're just like, okay, I'm going to tell your future. You know, and, and, and it seems like sort of a spiritual elitist idea. You know, like, oh, man, you know, the older prophetic. Oh, they're going to tell me my future. Tell me everything about me, 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 right? And, and where am I going to go? Who am I going to marry, you know? And where am I going to live? Oh, the Lord's going to give you a large property. It's beachfront, definitely beachfront. <laughs> you know, I see checks in the mail. Oh, so many of them, right? <laughs> You hear me, right? We have this, sometimes we have this idea or an emotional attachment to certain forms of prophecy. You know, it's always spontaneous and ecstatic. And look, I'm not, I'm charismatic, okay? I believe in prophecy. I'm thankful for prophecy. And I believe that there's capital P prophets who function. And, and you know, their, uh, their, their prophecy is not just um, uh, in this space but sometimes it can be directive and it can be foretelling but local church prophecy is forth telling it's not foretelling it's forth telling it's telling about the goodness of god and you're we're speaking in the context of scripture which by the way the old testament prophets they all prophesied within the context of scripture but let's just go back to this um th- this passage here and i want to just want to just see this here the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding encouragement consolation so build up Stir up, cheer up. I'm going to build you up in your faith. I'm going to build you up in your faith. I'm going to, I, I, I know how to build somebody up. Man, you know, you are, um, I just saw you the way that you were serving today, and I was just so encouraged uh, by your attitude and your posture, and you were just so kind to people. You know, like, I can, you can prophesy with your eyes wide open. You can do this. You can do, well, okay, I saw that in you. And it's just encouraging. I saw how you were encouraging other people. And I was just so blessed by what you're doing. And, and I'm so thankful for what, how you're serving today and how you blessed our, our church. And, um, and, and then stirred them up. And I just want to say, like, you know, just continue to do that. Continue to, to, to press in. Who knows where God's going to take you? And I believe that God's going to really do something awesome in your life. And as you begin to, you know, as you, when you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit will fill it. And so you just begin to step out and just, you know, you start to encourage them and then and then consolation as in cheer up like when you've prophesied to them and you build them up and you stirred them up they leave with a smile on their face not ducking you in the parking lot because here you come with your prophetic parking lot word it's always a bummer do you know what I mean like oh boy here we go it's gonna be long it's gonna be you know what I mean like here we go oh just Build up, stir up, cheer up. I think sometimes this is happening in the church, but we don't recognize that it, it's prophetic, but it actually is. And this is how the church builds itself up. I think you can do that. I think we could all do that. And the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is saying to you this morning, I want you to desire spiritual gifts but especially that you'd prophesy. Because when you speak in tongues, you build yourself up. And that's fantastic, but other people need to be built up. And there's something, there's something, about, there's something powerful when you personalize the word of God towards somebody. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Uh, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. How are we going to build Calvary? You. Your mouth. What's our building strategy? You're it. The Holy Spirit inside of you. You're a priest. You've received a priesthood. 
You might not feel like it. You might not look like it, but you are one. Right? And you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. St. Thomas Aquinas said that the Holy Spirit is the love of God. Uh, Jesus is the wisdom of God, Proverbs chapter 8. But the Holy Spirit is the love of God. And what he means by that is, well, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells you. Jesus doesn't live in your heart. He's, he has a physical body, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God right now. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells you, right? Now, the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus um, in the church, but it's the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. That's I mean, it's very intimate language, and it's incredible. He sticks with us, right, through thick and thin. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit just doesn't quit you? Right? That's so loving. It's so patient and kind of him. Like, we're, we're a hot mess. You know, and every time we're, we're doing stupid things, he's just there going, oh my gosh, you're embarrassing and I love you. Yeah. Yo, what are you doing, you moron? And you can feel it. And you're just like, I know, this is so stupid, right? You know, and he's just like, I love you. I'm not quitting you. He's, he's long suffering. He's the love of God. And he, and he wants to get out. And that's what the prophetic is. The prophetic is the Holy Spirit trying to get out of your mouth. You know, he, he wants to, he, this is how the Spirit builds the church. We're in the age of the Spirit. We're in the age of the Holy Spirit. This is the church age. It's the, spirit, it's, the, it's the age where the Holy Spirit is actively animating and building the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. There's a word for somebody today. This is the Bible. I love tongues, man. I love Pentecostalism. I, I believe in it. I'm thankful for it. I like charismatics. I am one. But prophecy in the church is greater than tongues. Because the Bible says so. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. And then he qualifies. Well, unless someone interprets. But, you know, the, Paul's idea here is cut out the middleman. Just prophesy so that the church may be built up. Lovers are builders. If you love Jesus, you'll build the church. I, I, I just, I, I love Jesus. I have a relationship with God. That's fantastic. Show me. You know, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then, then feed my sheep. You know, prophesy. Build up, stir up, cheer up. Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes, I already said so. Okay, well then stir it up, pal. Build the church. Okay, Peter, do you love me? Oh my gosh. Really? Three times? Yes, Peter, three times because you denied me three times and you're a hot mess. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to drill this down into you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Cool. Build my church. Feed my sheep. Lord, I love you, and I'm not going to be silent, and your love is going to come out of me, and I'm, I'm going to love people. If, you love, if people who love Jesus love the church, you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. Yeah, well, sometimes she's... Yes, I know. I have eyes, too. Our church isn't perfect because you're here. And I'm here. Right? Well, you'll never find a perfect church because you'll always be there. You know? So, but, but you could be a part of a great church because you're here. Right? Because you can build by love. Love believes the best. Oh, oh, it hopes the best. Ooh. Okay. We're in Thessalonica now. We're in the last church. The Thessalonicans, man, they're, they're getting the beat down. Christianity is not an officially recognized religion in Rome. And the Thessalonians, uh, some years earlier, they chose the winning side, the right side, in a civil war. 
And they were granted um, the status of a free city, which meant that they didn't pay taxes. This was elite status. Now, they could lose that if they didn't hold on to Roman values. And one of Roman values was you can't let people who uh, believe in mystery cults operate within city walls. So Judaism was an official, officially recognized religion, but Christianity was not. One of the ways that the Jews were causing problems for the Christians in Thessalonica was they were ratting on the Christians to the Thessalonican politicians and leaders of the city and saying, this is a mystery cult. And the Romans, if they find out that you are letting this roll and happen in the city, you could lose your, your tax-exempt status. So the Thessalonians start to really persecute uh, the Christians, and the Jews are just loving it. The Thessalonican church is full of anxiety because, you know, they're trying to figure out this, this tense political situation. You know, what are we going to do? They're, they're, they're being soci- soci- socioeconomic persecution. Um, anxiety is fear of future pain. That's what it is. And this church is, they got knots in their stomach. And they've probably got anxiety disorders, to be honest with you. You know, just like that loop. Have you ever catastrophized? You know, late at night, you just start to catastrophize something. You ever seen those memes, you know, where like, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a couple. And, and she's going, oh, she, he's probably thinking about other women. And he's going, I got to fix my golf swing. You know? <laughs> We catastrophize, right? Like, oh my gosh, like the whole world's gonna, we're gonna, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, you know? And we always catastrophize after eight o'clock, right? And so the Thessalonians are catastrophizing. We're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, this is horrible. Um, To the point where a lot of them have stopped working. They just stopped working. And their eschatology is going whack. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And Paul's having to write to them about Christian hope, which has to do with, you know, Jesus coming back. And so he's going to be very practical uh, for this church who's just whacked out. And they're just like, you know, they're all on Facebook going, you know, Jesus is coming back. This is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of the beast. Ah." Sound familiar? (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the the vaccine's probably not the mark of the beast. Like, really? You know? The book of Revelation, it meant something to the original audience. Why, why is it that it, it only means something to us in 2022? Are we really that chronologically snobbish? <laughs> you know, biblical prophecy. Oh, what does it mean? I don't know. Check the newspaper. I like to interpret the book of Revelation through the newspaper headlines. Russia is the bear. Oh, yeah? Did Russia exist in uh, 90 AD? No. (laughs) You know, this is how Christians read the Bible for 2,000 years. Right? We're catastrophizing everything. The Bible's not all about people who are living in 2022. It's just not. It's meant something to the, the church. There's cyclical things in the book of Revelation. There's always been empires. How do you think the World War II generation thought about the book of Revelation? Oh, you, th- what, you, th- right? Like, the whole world is at war, right? Jesus is coming back. The Nazis are the Antichrist. Turns out they weren't. So Paul has to write to them, guys, calm down. Calm down. And he writes the most practical thing ever in 1 Thessalonians 4, which is the chapter about eschatology. He says this, I want you to aspire to live quietly, live a quiet life, and to mind your own beeswax, as my mom says. Mind your own business. And this is is the most beautiful part, and to work with your hands. Get a job. It 
It's funny because it's true. Get a job, dude. Get off of the internet for five seconds. Uh, I was telling kids last night, for maybe going on five years now, um, I went to a psychologist first time and I was dealing with panic um, disorder and anxiety disorder and um, it was really bad, you know, the catastrophizing and I was on a feedback loop and so I, I go to this, this psychologist in our church and um, so I remember, I, you know, going into my first visit and, and I sit down and we talk and she's okay what's going on you know this is what's happening and you know okay I'm sorry why did this happen blah, blah, blah. and so she began to say okay well Nate so you know you're stuck in a loop you're going to be okay I'm like I'm not going to be okay I'm not going to be okay you know <laughs> um, you're stuck in a loop we're going to break the loop but you don't fight anxiety with this you fight anxiety with, with, with this you, 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 you can't when you're in a feedback loop you can't unthink your way out of bad thinking you actually have to get into your body um, which is really cool because God gave you a body. Your body, like your body, what God gave you is the secret to your health, right? So, um, so I remember, you know, okay. So she's like, I'm going to give you some homework. I'm like, good. This is costing me a lot of money. Like, homework would be nice. <laughs> you know, I don't get to see you for another week. So homework me up. And so she's like, okay. So I'm, I want you this week, you know, to think about your toes. And I'm like, expensive. Ex- <laughs> This is an expensive interview, expensive advice about my toes. Thank you. And she's like, no, like what I want you to do is I want you to squeeze your toes. And we just do that with me just for a second, just for, just for fun. It's going to be fun. Just, just, just squint, scrunch your toes for a second. It's just like it makes you think about your toes. You know, like all of a sudden I'm not thinking about it. I'm thinking about my toes. Interesting. I'm starting to bring some of my focus and my attention right? It's called grounding. And so, okay, whoa. Like, so, and so she's like, and when you walk, I want you to think about your, because, because for me, what had happened was my head, you know, was, my body was just a teleportation device for my noggin. You know, so I'm just walking around New York City and I'm not taking anything in. I'm just catastrophizing. And so she's going, I want you to feel the cement, dude, you know, like in your toes. And, and then the next week, you know, we talk and talk and talk. And then she's like, okay, homework this week. I'm like, homework, yay. She's like, I want you to, when you sit, anytime you're sitting, I want you to think about, um, you know, your, the chair touching your rear end. I'm like, I can do that. Okay. Wow. Once again, expensive advice, but thank you. Um, <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm getting into my body. And the point here is like the Thessalonians in their, in their ca- catastrophizing about the world and things that are happening, and you know, and you know, their gas prices are going up in Thessalonica, you know, and Mima is on the Facebook saying that this, everything's the mark of the beast, you know, and and the world as we know it is is coming in, and I can't travel as much anymore, and we're gonna, you know, everything's gonna, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die, and and Paul just says, get a job and work with your hands. Someone asked Martin Luther, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant a tree. Like Christians are supposed to be the most grounded, earthy people where everybody else can go and they can lose their mind, but we're going to have the peace of God and we're going to continue to sow. So, so that's what we're going to do. Can, can I, you know, as a church, can I say this? It, in, in the middle of the pandemic, or in the middle of war, or the threats of war, rumors of war, in the middle of whatever is happening right now, continue to sow and build the church. Build your business. Build your family. Build the church. God provides seed to the sower. So just continue to just be caught up in the most practical 
building, sowing things and watch as the peace of God begins to rule and reign in your life. The peace of God begins to rule and reign when you start to come in alignment with the kingdom of God. Right? What is Jesus doing right now? What is he doing? He's building his church. He's superintending his church. He's walking among the churches, the seven churches. He's walking among the candlesticks. And he's going, how's your faith? Are you judging other people? You know, or are you just you know, setting your faith? Remember, you didn't get this by your works of the law. You got it by grace. Okay, and working through faith. Okay, so that's good. And, and how's this church doing? How's your love? Okay, you, are you building the church up? Okay, you know, how, how are you doing? This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is building his church. And so my invitation to you is, why don't we do that as a congregation? No matter what happens, I don't care what's happening in the news. If we run out of gas, we run out of food, whatever, I'll just continue to build. I'm gonna work with my hands. I'm gonna build my business. I'm gonna, and I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna meet with the saints and I'm gonna do what Jesus is doing because when I'm with Jesus, everything's going to be chill. Let's build our way out of this mess. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your church. Jesus, thank you for your church. You're building your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is going to raid hell. The church is going to continue to grow. Father, I thank you for favor on Calvary. I thank you for favor on every business, God. Father, I thank you for your favor on on everything that our hand finds to do, God. God, I I pray that you would establish the work of our hands this year. God, that this would be a work. If you're you're a business person, you know, whatever, you own a business, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Can we just just pray for these people? God, would you just establish businesses? Um, Establish, God, I pray that there would be fresh ideas, entrepreneurial ideas, strategic ideas. God, I pray that people would just find work and they'd, they'd be obsessed with their work, grounded in their work, just being faithful with what you've given them, God, and, and, and that people would be released to just build the kingdom. Man, if, if you're just somebody and you just feel, man, I want to build church. Uh, you know, I want, I, I'm, I'm going to answer that call. Just lift your hands to the Lord. I want to build church. I'm going to build this year. I'm, I'm going to stop worrying about other things and worrying about other people and worrying about the world. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to build my life on the rock that is Jesus Christ. I'm going to build my community, build my relationships, build my church. I'm going to build with Jesus. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of building the kingdom of God in Miami. God, would you bless it? Would you cause it to flourish? Lord, Breathe upon our work. Establish the work of our hands. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, were you blessed by that word right there? My God. We got a history lesson. We got a theology lesson. We got some prophecy. Come on. I thank God for Nathan's life so much. The world needs him today. The world needs his gifting. What a beautiful way to teach the Bible. And I think so many times we can come to settings like this and what we want is our emotions stirred up. And uh, you can get your emotions stirred up and still have no theology, no sound doctrine in your life. Today we learned about faith, hope, and love. How's your bike? get a better bike. I love that. With eyes closed and head bowed, we'll leave it in just a second. If you're here today and maybe you had no faith, hope, and love. Maybe today you had no relationship with God. You were in here and you're saying, Alex, I actually feel far from God. You're watching online and you're saying, there's no way that God wants anything to do with me. We're leaving in just a moment. If if we can have every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're in here today or watching online and you're saying, I need Jesus. I know there's sin in my life. But I would love to have that peace of God. The peace of God only comes first with having peace with God. The Bible says that sin, it it goes against God. It it creates a barrier between us and God. But God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus came and he carried my sin, your sin. Carried the sins of the world on his shoulders. He went up on a cross and he died for me and for you. 
Bible says that Jesus died on that cross. He went down to a grave. He was dead for three days, but after three days, Jesus Christ, he resurrected. He died for you and resurrected so that you could be forgiven and so that you could have new life. Come on, as pastors are praying, dream teams praying, with every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. If you're here today or watching online, you say, Alex, I need Jesus. Alex, I want a brand new beginning. I want that faith, hope, love. I want that peace of God. Today, I want a brand new beginning in my life. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Can you just raise it up high enough, long enough for me to see you? I want to see who I'm praying for, and then you can put it right back down. If that's you, you're saying, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I want a relationship with God. Raise your hand at the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand as high as you can, as high as you can. God bless you. 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 I see you. God bless you. Awesome, my man. God bless you. God bless you back there. Awesome. If you're watching online, you can raise your hand right there where you're watching. Awesome. Come on, let's put our hands down together. Why don't we say this prayer together? We're going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why don't we all do it together as one big family? Come on, let's say it out loud. I believe that God's spirit is in this room, and I believe he's going to do a work in all of our heart out loud say this together with me say father thank you for today thank you for this opportunity i believe that jesus is the son of god that he died for my sins and on the third day he resurrected jesus come into my life be my lord and be my savior from today on i'm forgiven i'm saved and i'm healed in jesus name Amen. Amen. Oh, come on, Calvary. Can we celebrate that today? Come on. Amazing. Thank you, John. Hey, if you raise your hand, hands went up all over the auditorium. If you watched online and you raise your hand, we have a free Bible for you. Outside in the Connect area, we have a free gift for you. It's a Bible. No strings attached. We're not going to show up tomorrow at your house, call you on Wednesday. We're not going to drive you crazy. No strings attached. Free gift from us to you. We love you. And we want to walk on this journey with you. We're here for you. If you're watching online, we'll mail one out to you absolutely free of charge. Anybody enjoy Sundays at church? Come on. Look at the person next to you and tell them, get a better bike. Faith, hope, and love. Hey, next Sunday we start seven, the brand new series. We're looking and talking about Jesus. Let's leave out of here singing one more time. We love you, church. We love you so, so much. And we're believing that the best is yet to come. Come on, with hands raised. Father, we love you. We thank you. Go before us this week, behind us, surround us. Let your glory shine upon our face. We thank you for all that you've done doing all that you will do we love you jesus have your way in our life as we praise you and worship you this week in jesus name amen amen and amen come on let's worship together